Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think one of the most important things to know is, first of all, how the stock market works. You know, there's the biggest fear with investing is like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my money. And I think we were all in this and we were like we were too hard for our money and there's no way that we're going to invest it. So one thing to know is that the market does have fluctuations. It will have ups and downs and it's expected. We've had major crashes after 9-11, the Great Depression, the tech bubble burst and all of that. But the important thing to remember is that the market always recovers and the market always goes up. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, 
special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Duan, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Oh, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Janice. Absolutely. So you are known as Dr. Finances on Instagram and your platform is all about empowering us to invest. And especially for communities of color, investing is still a very stigmatized thing. It's not trusted. And so I'm hoping that during today's conversation, we can start to break down a lot of those common myths that are keeping folks from beginning. But I'd love to start off with learning more about you, if you can start off with an introduction of who you are. Sure, sure. So I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. It's a low-income inner city school district where I grew up. So we had very humble beginnings. I went to JFK High School there, and then I got a full-ride scholarship to Rutgers University to study cell biology and neuroscience. And then after that, I got my master's and medical degree from Torah College of Osteopathic Medicine in Harlem. And during the senior year of my medical school, I was learning and using a lot of these tools that all of us still use today, like like Evernote and Dropbox and a lot of these like really great technology companies. From time to time, I would start reading about how these companies were changing the world. And I even read the famous article by Mark Andreessen, who's one of the top venture capitalists here in Silicon Valley, about how software was eating the world. So previously, we all knew about you know business school. We knew that there's such thing as like starting a business and so on. But there wasn't the huge component of software that was like sort of amplifying everything. So now you can reach from 1,000 to 100 thousands of people to millions of people within milliseconds. And so I was really intrigued by that. During my last year of medical school, I had the opportunity to come here to Silicon Valley and work in my own tech startup. So I did that. And I had support because my husband was already living here for three years. And so we were doing long distance. It was like a little bit more convincing. And I also wanted to start a family. So we moved here. I worked on a startup. Um, It went really great, went well. I raised venture funding from angel investors and Rutgers Business School. And then 2020, we reached uh, financial independence. And then I've been slowly transitioning into consulting where I help physicians transition from clinical medicine into tech as well as my other passion, which is why I'm here, personal finance. I really discovered, just went down the rabbit hole of understanding low-cost index funds, just um, started doing research, research, reading, reading. I think you and I are very similar in that sense. Like, yes. You know, once we're down the rabbit hole, there's, there's no saving back. us. So, so that's where, so once I understood that, I really want to talk about it. And I do enjoy talking about it. Even this weekend, I was visiting family and during the holidays in New York, New Jersey, half of the time was just by looking over like four 1k portfolios. <laughs> yes, I was talking to my sister-in-law about what is the number that she needs to reach financial independence, how she can cut her clinical hours down and things like that. You know, because there's a lot of burnout, especially in medicine right now with the pandemic. So it just gives people a lot of hope. I don't think, especially in my family, anyone really wants to leave the clinical job or whatever. It's just that they really want to have that option and that flexibility. So you have a family of doctors, is that correct? I do. I have a lot of my family members that are doctors. Yeah. Okay. So I can see where your inspiration to go to medical school come from. I think as a Latina, we get very similar messaging where it's like, you have three choices. You're either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, or you're going to marry one of those. (laughs) So, and I was actually pre-med in college, but then my junior year of college, I was like, I'm so done with school. I just want to make some money and redirected my biology degree to become an engineer. So 
It's funny how so much of uh, what our family wants for us kind of dictates how we show up as adults. And I'm curious around money. What were some lessons that you learned as a kid? Mm-hmm. Lessons were definitely on frugality, like just saving. My parents were really, really big on saving, especially my mom. And I'm really fortunate for that because she didn't understand or doesn't really believe in investing even now, like at least in the stock market, she only believes in real estate investing. But the one thing she did really teach us was to save. And even like when we earned small stipends, I remember the first, first job I ever got in my whole life where I got a stipend was $100 for a program called City Serve. I was like in seventh grade because there's a lot of programs for kids in the inner city and stuff. So that was one of them where we like helped plant a garden and things like that. And so I got my first $100 during the summers. I worked throughout all of college. I worked. I always had one or two jobs, giving tours, being a writing center tutor and things like that. The mantra was like, save all your money. So save, 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 preferably under the mattress, <laughs> You know, try to avoid the bank. Do not even think about and go near the stock market. And if you hear something like S&P 500, run the other way. <laughs> that is risky. <laughs> and it's just too risky and don't lose your money. And it's a fraud and just save your money. So I was grateful that my mom taught us like save your money. And I was grateful that she said like she didn't believe in credit cards. She was like, it doesn't make sense that someone would give you money for free to spend and give you a loan. <laughs> like, she's like, no, 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 don't ever have money on um, credit cards. So I never actually had ever actually now that I think about it in my life outstanding like credit card bill because it was ingrained in me that I only needed to have it to build credit and to save all my money but as far as growing wealth and stuff I was never taught that yeah I can totally resonate with that my dad instilled the fear of God in me with credit cards he's like they will ruin <laughs> your life do not ever get a credit card mm-hmm. and clearly we know how important credit is in this country but when you approach things like that with so much fear it can make you almost like paralyzed with decision-making around those topics. And so I think a lot of us can struggle with that when it comes to investing, especially if we're the first ones in our family to start exploring that. So how did you first come upon the topic of investing and financial independence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Oh, and one thing I did want to touch on the credit card, if you don't have sort of that mantra at home growing up, it can be very, very convincing in college because the first credit card I did sign up for was at the Rutgers, what we call the Rutgers grease trucks, where they had these delicious sandwiches. And if you signed up for a credit card, you get $5 to buy a sandwich. And then when I read the terms, it like it would say like, you only need to pay $15 per month. And I was thinking, this is like such a good idea. And I'm thinking maybe my immigrant mom doesn't know this. This is something really brilliant. Not only do I get free food, I can buy whatever I want and I only have to pay $15 a month, not reading the long, the 38% APR or whatever. So mm-hmm. if I didn't have it, my mom's like, no, I don't know how everything works, but I'm just telling you, like, it's a bad idea to get a credit card. <laughs> I probably could have been influenced because even till today, I'm still so shocked that colleges have credit card companies showing up and having people sign up for credit cards, but not having people understand like Vanguard and how to save and invest and grow their yep. wealth. So basically the way I got into investing is so I was in the tech scene and there were a lot of um, startups, especially robo advisors that were becoming very, very popular, like Wealthfront and Betterment and even Elvest, which is for women specifically. And I started like reading about that. And because this time it really interested me because I was like, wait, there's a lot of other people working on these companies. And these were really well-known founders. Some of them like Wealthfront founder, he was like a Stanford professor. He's really, really talented. 
And so I just went and I was like, oh, wow, like there is such a thing like you can invest in low cost index funds. And so I just kind of went down that rabbit hole. And the first thing I did was refinance my medical school student loans. And when I was able to bring it down, I think my interest rate had like two or three different loans. They were about seven to eight percent. I was able to bring it down to three to four percent. And then I was able to find my local bank. I was able to finally bring it down to 1.98%. So 2%. And then like everything just kind of was like, wait, like how did that happen? And like, I thought, you know, I didn't know such thing as like refinancing student loans. I've heard of refinancing homes. And so I just really started like digging deep into it. And what makes me, I guess, a little sad is that along the way, like no one taught us this. Even if you go to the highest level of education, in your case, engineering, in my case, in a medical doctorate, like not one person like took me aside at the financial aid office or said like, hey, by the way, you know, once you're done with med school, remember to refinance it or remember to join the public service loan forgiveness. My husband and I, like we would talk about my student loans and sometimes I would like start freaking out and then he'd be like, you know what, let's just not talk about it. We're just going to ignore. So we did that for a few years. And anytime I'd bring it up, because it caused me such immense stress, sometimes even nightmares, because I think like, oh, my gosh, it's compounding while I'm working on my startup and things like that. As a nice, generous, kind spouse, he was like, let's just ignore it. (laughs) So when I presented to him the first time the idea of refinancing, he was like, no, no, no. Like, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Like, let's just don't stress yourself out about it. How much debt were we talking about there? Yeah, I had about 180000 Okay. Um, the only reason why it wasn't even more <laughs> is because I was living with my husband, so I got married. So it was kind of like his living expenses and mine. So it would have been even more. I have friends that had took out three hundred, four hundred thousand. 400000 Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> it's so daunting to have that type of like monkey on your back. And then you're supposed to save and plan for retirement and yeah. maybe help your parents when they get older. It's right, just like right. so overwhelming. So you decided to refinance your student loans. You realized you could save a lot of money by doing that and just understanding the power of money. So tell me a little bit about your financial independence journey. Once I kind of understood what I call sort of like the secret to life, there is such thing as low cost index funds where you can invest in the entire market and you're not choosing individual stocks, which can be quite risky. Because we had a lot of savings and because my husband was earning and I was earning in the startup, we just basically front loaded everything. So as soon as I understood, we moved fast because we work with facts and figures. That's a nice thing about engineers and doctors is that once we understand something and it makes sense, we move fast. So once I understood that we like uh, made sure like my husband was already contributing to his 401k, we did the HSA, backdoor Roth IRA, and then even front loaded our kids 529. And then it just grew like now we actually knew what to do with our money. And when I didn't, like I was taking some silly trips and spending a lot of money. Like I went to this trip (laughs) to Thailand and I was like, I stayed at the hotel that they shot that movie. One of those movies in Thailand, it was like with a guy with a monkey, like um, with the hangover. Yeah, the hangover. (laughs) Stayed at that hotel. I was tipping people left and right because I was like, I have all this cash. And I'm supposed to save and I don't know what to do with it because I wasn't thinking like, oh my gosh, there might be a day I can't work physically because of my health is going to be affected. Like retirement was like 20, 30, 40 years away. But what's interesting is that I thought, okay, maybe I'm, you know, I grew up low income. My parents are immigrants from Bangladesh. I wasn't taught this, but I'm sure all of the other elite people were taught this. And even my husband who has an Ivy League degree, he went to Columbia and then he did his engineering PhD at MIT. He had no clue either. So I was like, okay, that's really weird. And when he worked at his last job, um, Barnes & Noble, they didn't even give him a 401k. Oh, wow. 
or either he didn't sign up for it. I mean, I don't know what happened. But like, it was like, so that was an interesting thing. And then, as I mentioned, my brother-in-law worked in Wall Street and he had no clue. That's and insane. My sister, who's a physician who was like very involved, very proactive, very much into hustling. She also had no clue. So slowly I was like, okay, wait a minute. So I don't think it's just me. I think it's just like, no one is being taught this stuff. And, you know, it's just unfortunate because we're not taught early on. And so once my husband and I understood it, we just moved fast. And because we were able to move fast, we were able to reach financial independence. We knew what our goal was. And then as we talk about financial independence, like through the Trinity study is the yearly expenses that you need multiplied by 25 invested in low cost index funds. And I should add, there's another version of that, which is through real estate. And so you can also do that. Like say, if you need, you know, 50,000 a year to live, you can divide that number by 12 and, you know, say it's like 4,000 or whatever. And as long as you're able to buy real estate units that produce passive income of 4,000 a month, Many people also consider that as reaching financial independence as well. So you can do it both ways through real estate or low cost index funds. The great thing about real estate is that you could do it faster. So you can move, you know, in one, two, three years, you could just like um, really like go all in and buy three, four, five, ten 10 units, put in the hard work and create that passive income. And then for other people, like if you love your day job and it's great and, you know, you're not in a rush, then you can just continue earning your regular salary and invest in low cost index funds. So I kind of had to learn the two a lot. And that's what I've been recently doing a lot of research on because I'm like, what is the big difference? Because <laughs> there's the personal finance community. There's a little bit of a battle between like the index funds and the real estate and then like you know, we all bring out our swords and guns. And we're like, <laughs> so now I get it. I know why real estate is so popular amongst physicians is because with the burnout, with the pandemic and everything, like they just want to reach it fast versus like in tech, my spouse and I, like we love our jobs. We love what we do. So we're not in any rush. And we also have a lot of opportunity for growth. So for us, like we feel like keeping our day job is great because we're earning a lot and we can just invest it. Real estate also is like a part-time hobby, if not even a full-time hobby. So you have to make sure that you have time for that. So if you do, then it's a great way because you can sort of expedite your financial independence number. Yeah. And I'll even throw in another option, which is the one that I took. I built a food blog, which now earns over $100,000 a year in passive income. So there's even the opportunity for you to build a passive business that then can create that income for you and things like digital courses, downloads. I mean, there's like a bunch of different things that you can do to make money online. And so it's just really about understanding what your personality is and then what right. is going to fit into your fire journey. So let's exactly. talk about for folks who want to start investing in index funds, what are the most important things that they need to know to get started? I think one of the most important things to know is, first of all, how the stock market works. You know, there's the biggest fear with investing is like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my money. And I think we were all in this and we were like, we work too hard for our money and there's no way that we're going to invest it. So one thing to know is that the market does have fluctuations. It will have ups and downs and it's expected. We've had major crashes after 9-11, the Great Depression, the tech bubble burst and all of that. But the important thing to remember is that the market always recovers and the market always goes up. So in the history of the stock market, you know, it has always shown that it recovers, it goes up. One of the key components of investing is you have to invest for the long term. From the historical perspective, it always returns 8 to 
And so that's sort of a number that you can use to understand other things. So if you're taking out a loan or if you're doing real estate, you can say, well, hey, I can earn 8 to 10% from the stock market. How does that compare to this real estate deal? Or how does this compare to this loan refinancing and things like that? So that's the most important thing to understand. And then the other thing is picking individual stocks. It's great if you want to make that a small part of your portfolio, but in order for you to be right twice is when you buy a stock, when you sell a stock, and even when you buy another stock, you have to be right so many times, but especially the two times when you sell and when you buy and when you sell, that it's really hard for any individual investor to be right twice and also right for the long term, so over 40 years. And so the best thing to do is to invest in the entire market, in the entire S&P 500, which is the top 500 companies in the US. You can also invest in international markets. And so when you invest in the entire basket of funds, you know, companies go up and down. Overall, your returns will still be eight to 10%. So that's, I think, the main key. So like investing for the long term, holding for the long term, and then investing in the entire market. Those are some key concepts of investing. Can you talk about what type of accounts we can use to buy index funds? Yeah, you can buy either through Vanguard or Fidelity. There's a couple of steps. You could either do like robo-advisors where they basically do everything for you. And those are the ones that I mentioned, like Wealthfront, Betterment, Elvest. And I think even Schwab and they start having their own robo-advisors now. And so basically with robo-advisors, you literally have to do nothing. It's so advanced that you you know put in your funds. They will help you allocate like how you want to distribute. You could do target date funds, like where you invest depending on when you're going to retire. So those are robo-advisors and you can even see the entire projection. So that's how I got started. I actually started first investing with Wealthfront because I understood the technology. You know, I listened to the interview by Betterment's founder, I think it was like John. John Stein, and so on. And then you can also do it yourself, which is through Vanguard. It's still super easy. You can buy the VTSAX and invest it yourself. It's not too difficult. So those are like mainly the two options. So you can go, I personally go with Vanguard because it's been proven. And one time that I did get advising through financial advisor, he thinks robo-advisors are really great. The fees are just a little bit higher, but still not too high. But he said, since Vanguard has historically been proven to help people retire over the last 40 years, and a little bit about, you know, Vanguard's history was basically found by a person named Jack Bogle. And he was a very brilliant student at Princeton University. And he did his PhD thesis on how in the long term, financial advisors usually like 80 to 90% are not able to accurately guess the market. And so if you just invest with the index of the market, like the index of all of the companies, you always end up making eight to 10%. And so he started Vanguard and there's a whole group called with his last name, Jack Bogle or Bogle. Some people say <laughs> Bogle or Bogle, the Bogleheads or Bogleheads. And you can join the online forum. And it just shows like how so many people have successfully retired and reached financial independence using Vanguard to invest and so on. So Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Yeah, Vanguard is a pioneer in the index fund space, and that's why you hear their name a lot. But it's important to know as well that that's not the only place that you can purchase index funds, right? All of the major discount brokerage firms like Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, and so on also give you access to low-cost index funds because Vanguard revolutionized the industry. And as they, as the index fund became more and more popular, folks began to demand it from all types of brokerages. So it's good to know that the accessibility is there. And it's really, I would argue, easier than ever to get started. So a lot yeah. of what holds us back is the mindset work. Before we hop into your best tips around how we can start to you know, get out of that scarcity mindset that stops us from investing, I just want to touch on for people who are interested in investing in for financial independence, how do they actually go about determining what or how much they should be investing on a monthly basis? Okay. So the important thing is to understand your financial goals. And what I recommend is like getting started with budgeting and, you know, using one of these software like YNAB or Mint. Um, YNAB is youneedabudget.com. And basically understanding, like first really getting a clear understanding and sort of facing the truth of what your budget is and how much you're spending. Because a lot of the spending that we do is on emotional spending. And I do it all the time myself. Like when I notice, especially when I'm with family, the concept of money and saving goes out the window. Like, you know, visiting during the holidays, I'm like, here's money for this and that. So really understanding the budget saving for the holidays and things like that. So once you understand how much money is coming in, how much money you're spending, then you can start allocating it. So you can do like you have your fixed expenses. So you allocate the money for that. And then you have what we call pay yourself first, where you put money into your retirement accounts and your investments accounts. Some people, as far as savings and investing is concerned, some people save 30%, some people save 50% of their annual income into retirement and investing. And then it also depends on how fast you want to get to your goal. Like if you have a toxic job that you hate, like you should leave. Life is too short. You shouldn't be miserable in there. And there's just so many other good options, you know, especially with the internet and NFTs now and crypto. It's like so many opportunities that as long as you have your foundation right, you can always go and try and learn new things and be a voice in that space. Like crypto space or personal finance or ethical makeup or sustainable makeup and so on. So once you understand your budget, then you can decide how much you want to save 20%, 30%. And then the a small amount should also be allocated for happiness and joy. And that's sort of my money mantra, which is that 
you have to enjoy the present. You should enjoy the journey and not just the destination. Enjoy the present moment while also investing for the future. And that's truly my mantra because I've seen in medicine like how short life is and life is very fragile and there's no guarantee that, you know, we're all going to live forever. And I've seen so many cases, like some of the biggest regrets patients have had is because, you know, they didn't get more time with family or they didn't do what they loved. And so, you know, it's just sort of taking the bull by the horns, finding something that you love and also remembering to spend with joy while you're also investing for the future. Yeah. I love that advice. Okay. So for somebody who wants to start investing, but is still having a really hard time overcoming their fear of losing money, of Mm -hmm. not knowing how to predict the future. What's your best advice for working on your mindset around investing? Yeah. So mindset, you know, in some ways, like what I like to say is the most important financial asset you'll ever have, because it really determines everything else that you do. Because a lot of the like regular investing and what to put the money in, it's just like pretty straightforward. Right. So it's like, hey, I open a Vanguard and I put it in. But you have to work through the money mindset. And so I have a course that came out and I spent an entire section on it on money mindset. And I spent so much work and effort into explaining it. It's really, really good. And I kind of break down like how our money mindset was determined, you know, depending on how we grew up, what our parents told us, even people we dated, or even small influences like watching our neighbors kid get a red new bike that I didn't, or someone said something, or I had a mentor that either inspired or brought me down. So there's a lot of influences. And then it's thinking about like how we approach money, how we think about it. Are we in a scarcity mindset or abundant and how to shift from the scarcity mindset to the abundant mindset? Once our mindset is we understand and figure it out, then we have so much freedom to decide what we want to do and invest and so on. And, you know, things like understanding that money is not evil, money can flow to me easily. Those are big understandings. And anyone who's wealthy and rich, they have a very positive, abundant mindset where they're not living in this scarcity, like I can't invest or I can't spend even things like, you know, investing in yourself and investing in like peace and or sometimes even paying a little bit more so that you can have peace. Those are all things that are important in the mindset. So understanding and getting our mindset right is so, so important. And then everything else flows so easily. The rest of the part is super easy, in my opinion, because it's just logistics, like click on this, put in money. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So what does your financial independence journey look like from a long-term perspective? Do you ever see yourself not working? Like what's the dream? Yeah, you know, we think about this often, my husband and I, you know, like what is it that we want to do? It's just always so interesting and sometimes it really changes. One is like there is definitely so much peace and beauty in knowing that you've reached FI. So there is like definitely that huge privilege, especially from where I'm coming from. And growing up how I did <laughs> and coming here is a beautiful long journey. The other thing is we're very like, we love the work that we do and we've always adapted to the work that we want to do. So like maybe if I was in medicine right now, I would be facing burnout. You know, I'm not sure, but I left when I saw a great opportunity. I'm more of like, hey, if I see a great opportunity, I love to explore it. I was always like this in high school, college, grad school and so on. So I'm definitely big on that. And then two is like, we love the work that we do. Someone, there was a a podcast I was listening to, there was a physician saying um, he does end of life care. And he was saying that we all have to work hard to figure out what is it that really brings meaning to our life. Because if we don't, then when we do reach fire and financial independence, a lot of us can get depressed and bored and so on. So you have to really work hard to understand what is it that you really love to do and what is part of your identity. 
and figure out what that is. And a lot of us haven't been allowed or given the opportunity to pursue those goals and those visions because we've just been in such a scarcity mindset that we need money. But he said, interestingly, you know, when people have like only six months to live, like money is the last thing on their mind. And now comes to the forefront of all the things that they really wanted to do, who they wanted to see, what are those last minute things that they wanted to do. And so the thing is, can we now kind of push money back once we've reached FI or close to FI and bring forward, like, what is it that we really wanted to do? What is most meaningful? What is our legacy? So, you know, my husband and I think about that, you know, as I said, right now, we love what we do. I love consulting and I love, you know, talking about personal finance. He loves engineering. He's working on on really good projects, but we love the fact that because FI, we can walk away anytime. So we're only doing work that we love. And two is we're also very, um, we rent our property. So we haven't purchased a home and that's because for us, we love the flexibility. So if we need to up and leave, in a year or two, or if we need to go somewhere else, we're okay with that. So we don't feel like that traditional sense, like I need the house or the white picket fence and all of that. We love the flexibility, like having the wings. That's why I see it. Financial independence is like having wings. <laughs> Renting is like having wings. You can just up and leave anytime. So that's how we think about it. We want to continue working, but if someday we don't, then we also love having the opportunity to walk away. Yeah, that's such a powerful place to be. And I love that you mentioned the fact that you pursued financial independence as a renter, because I Mm -hmm. think especially for communities of color, there's this idea that the only way to build wealth is through owning property, through having that primary home. That's the message that I got. And so I think we're breaking a lot of taboos by having the discussion that it doesn't matter where you live. It should just factor into what you value and what you want your overall life life to look like. And if that looks like having a lot of flexibility and the ability to walk away very quickly as a renter, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you should not be shamed for making that decision. Yeah. And there's another thing that I've realized, another benefit of renting that I never knew before, I never thought about, of course, is my son is going to enter kindergarten next year. And so now we really have to think about public schools and private schools. And by being a renter, I have the option to move to any school district that I want, if we really want to. I also have the option of sending him to, if we choose private school, like any private schools, or if he doesn't like the local public school, we can send him to a private school. But say you purchased a really expensive home, especially in this area at a, like a nice middle-class or upper affluent area, the home prices are two to three million. Once you've settled there, you're kind of set in going to that public school. So even if you don't like it, even if you don't feel comfortable, especially some of us that are immigrants, sometimes you're going into communities that have no diversity and things like that. It might be uncomfortable. So if there's like bullying and things like that, we're kind of stuck because I can't now pay for this huge $3 million mortgage, plus also paying for private school for two kids. That's insane. So by renting, I also have that flexibility. And I'm like, so grateful for it. Because now I'm like, hey, I can send them to public school, or I can choose one of the multiple private school and it's still affordable for us because I don't have a $3 million mortgage that I need to pay. Yeah, that's super important. And you living in Silicon Valley? Yeah, in Silicon Valley, I'm in San Jose. Okay. Um, and we work in Mountain View. So yeah, one of the most expensive places in the world. Uh, I'm curious, do you ever see yourself leaving the area? Because I, you know, I imagine you both have the ability to work remotely. So does that look like something that might be Um, part of your fire journey? 
Interestingly, we've thought about that, especially going to a state with um, no state income taxes. You know, that definitely sounds lucrative. We've thought about it, but my husband's job actually does require in-person meetings and stuff because he's um, sort of the the research team for his company. So they do like a lot of hands-on and the interaction and everything is really necessary for that collaboration. Otherwise, yeah, I would love to even move up north a little bit where my sister-in-law is in Sacramento. Home prices are a lot more reasonable there. School districts are great. And then there's also option of moving to Korea because my husband's company is there. Their headquarters are there. So like there's always that option. Oh, guess what? This is what I was going to tell you. (laughs) Puerto Rico It has one of the best taxes, like advantages for business owners. Actually, I'm going to make a post on that soon. Like there's a little nice community of entrepreneurs. And I thought about it. I was like, Janice is Puerto Rican. I'm actually shopping for property right now. That's a big secret. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've even thought about Puerto Rico because I do know a lot of physician entrepreneurs. There's like two or three of them that have already moved there. Yeah. And a lot of these are popular bloggers. And uh, even this um, very popular podcaster, I forgot his name, he moved to Puerto Rico as well. And so yeah, so Portugal, Puerto Rico, those are things I've considered. Um, And then moving to like either Washington State, Oregon, New York, New Jersey, there's also pull for that because most of my family is there. But you know, the prices of homes and taxes, I'm like, uh, yeah, Yeah. so (laughs) we've thought about it, but nothing definite. We're just kind of playing it by ear while our kids are young. And that's what I'm sort of like balancing a lot right now is the focus on the kids and the focus on my entrepreneurial goals. It's a huge balancing act. Even if you think you have your SHIT together, (laughs) every day is like a new, like, oh my God, I didn't think about this, like when it comes to kids. So yeah, so we're going to kind of navigate it with what we want, but also now with what's the best for our children as well. I'm glad that you mentioned children because now that you have this information that your parents didn't, I'm curious, what are you doing from an investing standpoint to set them up for even more success as adults? Um, So for sure, like we've already front loaded both of their 529s, front loaded for the amount of a state university. So like UC Davis, one of the state universities here, and then the rest, they can take out student loans or have a part-time job because I think they should have some skin in the game. We probably won't tell them unless they listen to this podcast (laughs) that we have 529s for them. So they're going to have to know that, hey, I need to hustle. So 529s. And then, you know, once they're working and they can earn income, definitely a custodial Roth IRA. So definitely going to get started with that. When you're immigrant and growing up and things like that, um, you know, sometimes it can affect your financial aid, like if you do like a UTMA account and things like that. But once you're like a physician and you're at that level, most physicians, kids, they don't get any scholarships or whatever. So I could like put in money into a UTMA or a custodial Roth IRA and things like that from the money that they've earned. So I'm definitely teaching them for sure, like about investing in money mantra and stuff. But to be completely honest with you, I'm actually focusing more on teaching them on how to be humble, how to understand the value of money, you know, all of those things that I just find so sacred in my upbringing And the kids in this day and age, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen because second generation, it's like, it's such a difficult mindset shift because I've seen the struggle. You know, we've seen the struggles of people like developing countries like Bangladesh. And then you've seen like me growing up in Patterson and going to school in like Newark and Harlem. And I've seen the struggles there. And then it really influenced me, made me hustle. But my kids, they don't have any exposure to that. I always laugh and say, because they're so used to everything being done automatically. And mom and dad are hustle people. So like before they could even open the door, we're opening the door, we're putting on their shoes. Like to them, like it's like magic. And I was telling my sister too, like, because we hustle. So we even hustle for our kids. So we're doing everything for them. It's not even, I guess you could call it some type of helicopter parenting, but it's not even that. We just feel like, oh my gosh, we should do it for our kid. It's like our obligation. 
So the other day we go to a park and my son goes into the bathroom and he sticks his hand on. He's like, hey, where's the automatic soap? Where's the automatic soap dispenser? And I'm like, Adam, like, this, is, this is not normal. Okay. Like having automatic soap dispenser is not something like he was frustrated. At least I blamed it on the pandemic and not on my parenting. So definitely like teaching them how to be humble. And I'm always thinking about like, how do you, you know, making sure that they apologize when they do things wrong, teaching them how to do things. Like um, my son helps me wash his sister's bottles and things like that, vacuum, fold clothes and all of those things. So for me, I'm less worried about like investing and understanding finances. I'm more worried about like, will they have the ambition and the hustle? And that's kind of what I wanted to also express with our audience that I do and Dr. Finances, your audience, like all of us that grew up first generation, first um, generation college graduates is that our hustle and our ambition is such a gift and like use it as a sacred thing and capitalize on it because you cannot buy hustle. You cannot buy ambition. If I could, I would have already bought it for my kids. So this is a beautiful thing. And I think, I don't know if it was you or someone else who was like, you know, we did a lot with a little, but we want to do with a lot. We want to do a lot more. And that's so true because like, with our hustle, like, oh my gosh, we can change the world. In some ways we already are, whether it's people you've helped with their engineering or patients that I've seen, but also with personal finance, it doesn't have to be the entire world, but even just few people who then go on to change a few more people and stuff, you know, we're shifting, you know, money and mindset and so on. But I just really, really want to express that. Just really, really understand how sacred your hustle and ambition is, even if you're having a really hard time. And just know that you're not alone and that this is something that you can't buy with money. Because if the parents in a lot of these elite Silicon Valley communities could have, they would have. <laughs> and we have that. So like, be very, very proud and really work towards it. And you will reach like amazing things. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I am obsessed with that message. And I think you're so right, because earlier in the episode, we were talking about how just you discovering this path to investing in financial independence. Now you're changing your family's lives, right? You're talking about this to your your in-laws and your, your sister. And that is so powerful. And I think that's how we begin to shift ourselves as a community. When you're the first person to do something, to find out something that nobody else has told you, we have so much power by sharing that. So I am so glad and grateful for what you do. I know folks are going to be super inspired by this episode. So for people who want to find out more about you, work with you, take your course, where's the best place for us to find you and, and what kind of support can you give folks? 
Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Finances. My blog is drfinances.com. And I have a recently new course launch due to much popular request and demand. And you and I talk everything about personal finance from A to Z, like everything that you need to know from low cost index funds to money mindset and budgeting and organization 529s, and even modules that will be on how to join the tech industry and entrepreneurship and things like that. So it's completely comprehensive and it's really amazing. I've been working really hard on it. So you guys can find me in all those places and just message me. I'm happy to reply to any messages and I'm usually putting out content every week and yeah, you can find me there. Amazing. Dr. Finances, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do in empowering us to stop being scared of investing and start building wealth that not only can change our lives, but generations to come. Thank you so much, Denise, for having me. It's wonderful being here. And I love the community that you've built and I'm super inspired by you and your community. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.